It is absolutely wonderful to be in worship here at First Baptist Church today, and I think it's safe to say I've been looking forward to meeting you all ever since I first heard my friend Henry Tyson speak so highly of you. It's, uh, Henry has an excused absence today, uh, but I first met Henry through volunteer work in the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Georgia. And it says a lot about a congregation when a member of the congregation, someone who loves the congregation, speaks as highly of his church family as Henry Tyson has spoken of you. And so I have for years heard about you. And so when your current pastor, uh, David Hughes, invited me to spend this Sunday morning with you, I was eager to say yes, because I had to meet these people that Henry's been talking about for so long. David and I met uh, several years ago, right before the pandemic, when he was serving on the other side of our state, got to know and respect him and his ministry there. But any further evidence I needed for your congregation's good judgment was confirmed for me first when you called Tyler Ingram, serve as your minister of music. Tyler and I have gotten to know each other really well in the last several years. Tyler is one of 12 CBF fellows. It's a program our fellowship coordinates to bring together some of the most gifted early career ministers, women and men alike, in Cooperative Baptist life. Tyler has been in that cohort in its most unusual several years because we spent our first year together only on Zoom. And it got so much better when we started being together in person. I was also overjoyed to hear that you all called Caroline Smith, Caroline Self, excuse me, to serve as your next minister to students. Caroline has been a wonderful student at McAfee School of Theology, incredibly involved in a number of our events for college students and seminary students in CBF life. She is going to serve you incredibly well. Caroline and Tyler and David are discovering that what Henry's told me for years is true. This is a wonderful congregation, and it's a privilege to be with you and have this chance to thank you for your partnership in the gospel with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship through your prayers, your generous support of our offering for global missions, and the leadership energy you all invest in this community and then through our fellowship all around the world. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Since this is the last Sunday of your global missions emphasis, I decided I would invite us to sit between two of the most powerful passages of Scripture that speak to the mission of God in the world. So I want to begin by locating us this morning. On one side of us, words like left and right are dangerous in this world, so I'll let you decide which side. To one side of us, is that powerful moment in the fourth chapter of Luke when Jesus preached his very first sermon. His text was Isaiah 61. He quoted from the prophet's ancient words. said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, let the oppressed Go free. And then, as Pastor Jennifer said in her children's sermon, he rolled up the scroll, sat down, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he spoke those stunning words Today, this scripture 
has been fulfilled in your hearing. In those words in Luke's gospel, Jesus declares what the mission is for which God has sent him to the world. And ever since, it's been one of the church's most influential texts in how we understand God's mission in our lives, in our communities, in our congregations, and all around the world. So that's one of the texts that is open before us. The other is that powerful statement in 2 Corinthians 5. Now, if you're like me and you grew up Baptist in the South and you're a guy, you first got familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.20 through royal ambassadors. Bet you didn't expect to hear me speak about that today, did you? But that's when I first heard the phrase, we are ambassadors for Christ. But before Paul gets to that climactic moment, Paul makes this astonishing statement. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and now God has entrusted the message and ministry of reconciliation to us. As I sit between Paul's words to the Corinthians and Jesus' words in his very first sermon, I begin to make a really powerful discovery that I want to let you all in on today and see what you think of it. Before we discover anything else sitting in between these two passages of Scripture, we make this powerful discovery that the mission for which God sent Jesus into the world is the very same mission to which Jesus has given the church. The reason that God became human in Jesus Christ and came to earth is the very same reason that God has set this church in this community and the very same reason God has called congregations like yours to join with congregations all around our fellowship to pursue mission all around the world. And the way Paul describes it is this. It's as simple as the verb tenses. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ, past tense. The verb tenses shift. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. God was in Christ. God is in us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now God appeals through us, be reconciled to God. The, mission, the very work God began in Jesus is the work God seeks to do through the church. Whatever was going on in the coming, living, teaching, preaching, healing, dying, rising of Jesus, that's what's supposed to be going on in the life of the church and its mission and its community and its work around the world. You make the same discovery if you sit more carefully with what happens in Luke 4. One way you judge the impact of a preacher is not what happens in the sermon, what happens later on. By the way, that's the part of preaching that terrifies me most. But notice what happens if you read Luke 4 in light of the rest of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Luke and its partner book in the New Testament, the book of Acts. 
We start out with Jesus saying, I have come to the world to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free. He says, today the scripture is being fulfilled. Then he calls disciples. And what do those disciples do? But they first watch Jesus as he actually practices what he preaches. If you notice what Jesus spends most of his life on earth doing, he's hanging out with poor people. He's spending time with folks other religious leaders ignored. He's healing people's diseases. He's curing blindness. He gets up early in the morning and stays up late at night. Maybe even feels like he has jet lag sometimes, like maybe your pastor feels this morning. But he gives his every energy, not just to talking about good news for the poor and release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Every waking moment of his ministry, he is actually enacting those things. And then his disciples start following him around as he does that. And sometimes, according to some gospels, they join in feeding the hungry. Well, after Jesus dies and rises again on the third day and you start reading the book of Acts, what do you see Peter and John doing in the temple? (laughs) Hanging out around those who are poor, healing disease, curing illness. They're doing the very same things in the book of Acts that Jesus is doing in the Gospel of Luke. In other words, what Paul said propositionally, Luke illustrates. The very work God started doing in the world in Jesus, God continues to do through the disciples, and God desires to keep doing through disciples today in the life of the churches. So the mission of Jesus is the mission of the church. That's the mission for which we gather for worship. That's the mission for which we send missionaries. That's the mission for which we try to encourage congregations to be faithful in their communities. It's nothing less than the very same mission for which Jesus was sent in the world. Now, I just want to suggest to you that's pretty ambitious. I mean, it's one thing to say that it's the mission of Jesus to do things like that. But have you hung out much with Baptists, or with Methodists for that matter, human beings for that matter? Wouldn't you call God ambitious, daring, risk-taking to decide to continue the work God started in Jesus with the likes of you and me? Sometimes I think we underestimate what is going on here in the church and what's at stake here in the church and what God's trying to do through the church. Sometimes I think we think too small and think too low and think too narrow about what it is God is trying to do with us, in us, and through us. It's nothing less than what God was doing in Jesus. But let's push that a little bit further. Let's not just notice that the mission of the church is the same as the mission of Jesus. Let's also get real clear about what that mission is. Let's get clear about its character, its substance. Paul uses the big, big word, reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
But now God has entrusted the message and ministry of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we appeal to you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciled, reconciling, reconciliation occurs like four times in three verses, so it must be the point. Now, normally when we hear the word reconciliation, we think of it um, in deeply personal ways. So you and I need to be reconciled with God because you and I are sinners. You and I have sins that separate us from God. You and I do not always live our lives as God desires. Left to our own devices, we do not please God. So we need a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus. And we need Jesus to come and heal us and forgive us and restore us and reconcile us to God. And that is true, but that is not all of the truth. Because when Paul talks about God is in Christ reconciling, he doesn't just say God is in Christ reconciling you and me to God. He says, God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God has an ambition for the reconciliation of the world. And that ambition is not just spiritual and personal. It's communal. It's cosmic. It's global. So everywhere in the world that we see brokenness, Jesus dreams healing. Everywhere in the world where we see division, God seeks healing. God doesn't just look for a narrow reconciliation between me and Jesus, as if that's the only place there is brokenness that needs healing, although God knows between me and Jesus there has been and will be brokenness that needs healing. And I imagine if we're all honest, we give that testimony. But the problem is the brokenness is not confined to just one of us or two of us. It reaches all over the world. And if you don't believe it, just read the news. Just look at our public spaces. Just see what's going on in the world. That mission that God, for which God sent Jesus, to which God has now entrusted the church, is literally the healing of everything that is broken. So that Paul will later write to the Colossians that in Jesus Everything holds together, that Jesus is about pulling everything that is broken together and making it right. And we see that when Jesus stands up in the Gospel of Luke and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Sometimes in my work with CBF, I get asked a question. Maybe some of you have sometimes heard this question. The question goes like this. So tell me, are are, are cooperative Baptists interested in inviting people to follow Jesus, or are we interested in addressing human need? Are we interested in inviting people to give their lives to Jesus, or are we interested in alleviating poverty in the most impoverished places of the world? You know what my answer always is? Yes. You cannot separate following Jesus from doing what Jesus does. You cannot separate inviting the world to follow Jesus from participating in Jesus' mission in the world for which he wants followers in the first place. The mission of Jesus in the world includes making me right with God through Jesus, but it doesn't stop there, thank God, through Jesus. 
That mission reaches out around the community. It reaches out around the world. It takes in all the world's brokenness. Let your heart be broken, the hymn says, for a world in need. Because God's heart is broken and God's dreams of its healing. Now this week, really since last weekend, there's been a lot of remembering about former President Carter. And I want to observe in offering this illustration that I'm pretty satisfied that if I were to stop preaching and open up a seminar about the Carter presidency, we wouldn't all see it the same way. There's another word for that, Baptist. But one thing that's really clear, that's been attested to in this last week especially, by many, many people who didn't always see the world the same way President Carter does, is that he clearly understood that the faith we profess in Jesus should drive us to heal the brokenness of the world. He clearly understood that faith wasn't just something we would speak, but it would be a life we would live. And that's why more than 15 years ago, he encouraged Baptists of many kinds to join together in a mission project called New Baptist Covenant that was influenced by our text today from Luke. Former President Carter figured out that if it was Jesus' mission to bring good news to the poor and release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free, then God's people who happen to be Baptist in North America should be part of that work together because that's how we give honor to Jesus and continue the mission for which he was sent to the world. Your pastor mentioned that just a year ago this weekend, Russia invaded Ukraine. This is also not a foreign policy seminar. It's not a political seminar on the Carter presidency or a foreign policy seminar. What I can tell you is, 20 years ago, you and Cooperative Baptists from about 1,400 other congregations sent Mina and Gennady Pagaisky to serve in Kyiv, Ukraine. And in the first years of their ministry, they involved volunteers from Georgia and North Carolina and the world over in building a ministry center outside Kyiv called Village of Hope. And in the Village of Hope, the Pagaiskis started some ministry practices that they have continued far beyond the Village of Hope, inviting Ukrainians to Bible study, inviting them to follow Jesus, praying with them in the deepest and most difficult times of their life, and also providing them care uh, when they were sick and struggling and suffering. It's a, it's a Luke 4 kind of ministry. Well, about two weeks after the invasion, Tyler and I were together at a CBF event in Louisiana, and my phone started to vibrate because we were getting word that the Russian military's aerial assault had taken out the Village of Hope. I don't know if they did it on purpose or what. And since the early days of that invasion, the people who have been in the Pagaisky's ministries have scattered to more than a dozen countries around the world. Some of them we encounter in other ministries along the southern border. Sometimes we see them in our ministries among refugees in the San Francisco Bay. 
But you know what we're doing everywhere we encounter them? We're offering the holistic love of Jesus through prayer, through Bible study, through care in times of trauma, because we think that's how you continue the ministry that God began in Jesus. I want you to know today that the mission for which this church exists, the mission for which the church exists is the exact same mission for which God sent Jesus in the world. I want you to know that the substance of that mission is nothing less than reconciliation cosmically understood. It's about addressing physical as well as spiritual needs, souls as well as bodies, seeking to bring everything back to wholeness through Jesus Christ. That is the substance of the mission. And I want you to know that it's urgent. This is, after all, an old Baptist sermon that has three points. That's how you know I'm almost done. Don't miss the urgency in these texts. You see it in Jesus. He rolls up the scroll. The eyes of everybody in the synagogue are fixed on him. He doesn't say... Well, one day out in the distant future, we're going to get busy on this. He says, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Paul doesn't write the Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And one day in the great beyond, when we we all fly away and we all get there, no, God is making his appeal through us. Do you hear the present tense? Do you hear the urgency? My friends, we live in a world that is broken and desperately in need of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is in desperate need of forgiveness for sin, but also healing of all the public brokenness. This moment requires a church and even a community of churches that is totally overwhelmed by the mission for which God sent Jesus into the world. So today I want you to hear Jesus' very first sermon again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because the Lord has anointed us to bring good news, gospel, to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed Go free. God was in Christ. God is in us. And I'm wondering what we each individually and what you as a congregation can say and do today. So that through your words... And in your actions, 
the world will hear Jesus say, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The scripture has been read, the scroll has been closed, and the eyes of a hurting, weary world are fixed on us.